Good morning, church. Good morning. Psalm 118 and 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will, we will rejoice and be glad in it. And we are here to do just that. My name is Paul. I'm privileged to serve as pastor of this congregation. It's great to see all of you this morning. Great to have those who are live streaming as well. Thank you for choosing to spend an hour of your time with us today in worship. Uh, thank you also to the volunteers each week who serve selflessly, uh, embracing the, yeah, we can clap for them. <clears throat> as we like to say, they embrace the privilege of being inconvenienced to serve as unto the Lord, and, and we are grateful. Last night, we actually had a good time over at the Boar's Head celebrating about 45 or so of the 50-plus volunteers here, and uh, we had a good time, I'll just say that. We got some folks who can cut up a rug a little bit, uh, or hardwood, it was a little dance floor, but we had a really, uh, really good time, and I invite you all to serve on one of our 10 teams. As we've said over and over again here, and we'll continue to say, it's not so much the tasks that are being accomplished, though important they are, as much as it is community that's being built, relationships that are being built, that for us is a part of the discipleship process here at Victory. So last night we were able to enjoy said company as unto the Lord, and it was, it was great. Uh, turn with me. Uh, to the book of Judges. We're going to look at chapter 2. It's not in my notes, but I just wanted to say on the heels of last night, I came home, I woke up this morning, and I just, just kind of sat and I said, man, I, I love our church. I love our church. Meaning I love you because we are the church, right? So I love you and I'm grateful for what God is building here in this community. I am certainly better because of you, and prayerfully you two are being sharpened and encouraged by the community, um, as we like to say here, that goes beyond the window dressing, if you will, of the nice pictures that we can take and what God's doing on sort of those fronts, but going deeper and being sharpened in your faith by what's happening deeper. Judges chapter 2, and before we read, let's, uh, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for just this time to open up your word. We've opened it up all service long from the opening song that declared that you are awesome uh, to the prayer, will pray, to the offering message, and even the greeters at the door who are serving with gladness, making you recognizable so that we can see even with what's going on in our respective lives that you still sit on the throne. We thank you, and we are in awe even of the fact that we get to partner with you to bring heaven here to earth, which is how we pray the Lord's Prayer. I pray as we open up your word that you would open up our eyes, as Psalm 119 and 18 says, to see all that is here in your law. Because unless you open, we can't see, we can't hear. If you don't soften our hearts, God, we can't apply your word in the ways you desire for us to do so. So Holy Spirit, speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at uh, Judges chapter 2. Verses 6 through 10. Yeah, what I, 6 through 10. Judges chapter 2, 6 through 10. NIV reads, if you don't mind reading with me, that would be great. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. 
Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Tenath-Hiris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Amen. If you've been with us, you know we've been in a series. Uh, we just started last week, the series entitled Who's Next? And last week we talked uh, from out of the book of Second Kings around how we first got to, like the flight attendant tells us, when on the plane, put the oxygen mask on first before we even think about who's next. And so we talk about how we need to believe first that he's more than enough. And this week, uh, we're going to come, obviously, from this text, and the title of the message is Passing the Baton of Faith. Passing the Baton of, of Faith. Um, I, I couldn't help. I was in college just a few years ago, and uh, <laughs> not too long ago. Tell the truth. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to tell the truth. I'll tell you the truth. I, I referenced when I came to UVA as a first year, and uh, to my classes this semester. And as I was speaking, I realized they weren't born yet. And I said, I'm one of them. <laughs> I was like, how did that happen so quickly? Uh, but I was in college a few years ago and I was a sports medicine major at UVA. And uh, so as a part of being a sports medicine major, we got to be a student athletic trainer in the training room, which is named after Dr. Frank McHugh, who I got to watch do surgeries back then and learned a ton from him and other trainers. But while there, they assigned me to the track and field team. Yeah, I was pretty hyped too, although I was thinking, what 19 or 20-year-old has any business doing electric stem with ice and ultrasounds and massages and running to the person who's injured on the, on the track or field to, to supposedly help them? But that's essentially what I think they wanted me to do. Um, and so as I was praying about this message today, I thought about the image literally of the relay race. And so I started reflecting on those who ran said races. So I called my roommate from college who happened to be the captain of the team, Marion Mason. And I said, Mace, listen, just remind me of some of the technicalities. What was involved in the relay race? What was important? And we talked among other things about uh, a lot of different tidbits about life. And then uh, as it related to the relay race, he said, a number of things, one of which was, Paul, it's not even so much how fast the folks are running around the track as much as it is how fast they can get the baton around the track. And I said, huh. He said, you remember the U.S., the women's team? We had the fastest around the track, and for years we could not win. We, we messed up in the transition. We messed up the delivery. But he said, you remember Kim Graham? I said, oh, yeah, she coached, and, you know, she's a 96 Olympian. And she said, yeah, we, he, he said, we were getting beat by the Russians. And we, as in the U.S., were getting beat by Russia in the Olympics, and she was the third leg, and it was all about transitions, and she had a little speed. That got her to get the baton to the next person, and they end up winning the gold medal in the 96 Olympics. And I thought, wow, we can be extraordinary. We could be Superman, but Superman or woman is only one man or woman. We can be incredibly fast and good, and yet if we're not in sync, with those around us, if we're not in sync with the generations prior to us and certainly those who come after us, we can lose this bigger race. And what better truth in the kingdom than for us to be able to receive the baton well in faith and then to pass on that baton. And so this morning, I really want to talk about three different points. Um, the first is communication. The second is connection. And the third is conviction. 
communication, connection, and conviction. For some uh, backdrop here to the book of Judges, it's a book written about individuals who led Israel after Joshua's death, pretty much up until the monarchy, if you will, of 1 Samuel, but they could not find their way. They found themselves disobeying God. They found themselves worshiping other gods like Baal. And then on the heels of that, because God's grace doesn't negate his justice, God would then bring neighboring people to then oppress them, after which they would then cry out. And God would say, okay, I hear you. Let me send you a deliverer in the form of a judge. And then they do it again. And it became this vicious cycle, six to be exact, where God would come and bring a judge and a deliverer to, to bring them back to him. And then they'd go back to doing what they were doing. But something that struck me, not the main point, but as I'm reading the word, there are always these subpoints. I thought, man, the Israelites were just, just doing the most, and yet God never gave up on them. And I said, God, thank you for never giving up on me. And if you're sitting here today, perhaps thinking, I'm too bad, done too much, gone too far. There's no way. God's hands, as older preachers used to say when I was growing up, they're not too short to reach you. They're not too short to reach you wherever you are. He does not ever give up on us. But here, Israel, the Israelites were stuck in their particular cycles. And what was interesting is that God had given control of the land at that point through all of Joshua's victories because he was a faithful man of God. And yet, there was still some work to be done by the tribes that existed, but they could not go in and do said work because they kind of wanted to just live alongside and be with, fraternize, if you will, with the folks who were there. And so some of the political influence of said people then began to infiltrate their ranks. Then they began to say, you know what? I know we're worshiping Yahweh, but how about a little Baal too? I know what Joshua did, but how about we also do a little bit of that? They began to say, I kind of get with Romans, but I can't get with Genesis. Or 1 Corinthians, it really resonates with me. But all that stuff he says in Ephesians, I don't know. And we see in the text what happens. After Joshua had lived a faithful life, he dies. And after just one generation, it says another generation, didn't know the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So I ask, how does that happen? How does that happen? The first point of emphasis is communication. What's not spoken can't be heard. What's not spoken cannot be heard. And certainly we know communication is about verbal and nonverbal communication. Uh, so your body will speak even, even if it's not coming out of your, uh, your mouth. And I have a lot of vivid memories, some of which I won't tell today, but one of which I'll share. I was in the second grade, and I don't know what conversation my dad and I had, but it kind of ended something like, don't think I won't come up to your school. And I'll just let y'all fill in the dot, 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 that ellipses. <laughs> Don't think I won't come up. And I must have. I wasn't a rebellious kid. I mean, I wasn't perfect, obviously, but I wasn't like just mouthing off. But I must have said something that was a little bit too snarky because I'm sitting in class and Pop showed up at the window of my door. <laughs> and I'm sitting in class and they're like, Mr. Harris is here. DePaul, your dad is here. And I'm like, oh, you're hearing something completely different. Because <laughs> the message I'm hearing with the look that he gave me was, don't you ever <laughs> in your life think that I'm not going to stay true to what I said I'm going to do. And I was like, where's the security? <laughs> I'll go, go to Johnson Elementary where my kids go to school. I'm like, look, I'm showing my license at the door. Anyway, 
he got to the, to, the, to the classroom door. Knowing him a little bit better now, though, I know he probably hated to do that. But in that moment, and now I knew, hey, what he says he's going to do, he's following through for better or for worse. What's not spoken cannot be heard. And that's not just referring to, as I mentioned, what's coming out of your mouth. Psalm 78 and 4 says it this way. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. When you're running that relay, Marion said, he says, when when we're running, Paul, first we say, go. When we're like 24, 26 steps out, we yell, go. So that they can start running a little bit getting their speed up. And then we yell stick. But I said, go? You yell go like Proverbs 22 and 6? Train up a child in the way that he should go? Not train them up so that they can hang around. No, train them up so they can go. We yell go in Victory Kids. We're yelling go. Start running in Victory Teens. That starts on September 17th. If anybody wants to volunteer at the Prospect Community Center. We're yelling go. Start running. And he says, then I yell stick when it's time to make the transfer. But if it's not spoken, it's not heard. And if it's not heard, there's no generational transfer. We can be great. But as we see in the text here, Joshua was faithful. Faithful, and yet a generation after, they're not looking to the Lord for anything. They don't know of anything he has done. Why? I think Joshua had this part down. His life spoke of faithfulness. So why then did not they hear and obey? I think certainly as a parenthetical, we can say with, with some degree of, of uh, ag- agreement that even if you say something, certainly every parent in the room and those who deal with kids on any front or adults, uh, we can say some things and people can choose not to listen. So we know that there's that. But to stick with the theme of how we might participate well and all that we can do to pass on the baton of faith, there's communication and then there's also Connection. Connection. Passing the baton of faith requires sustained and intentional connection. This perhaps, perhaps, is where Joshua and his generation did not fare so well. I thought about the story of Moses and how he, he got this message, Exodus 18. He didn't get it right away, but his father-in-law, if you remember the story, Jethro came to him and said, Jethro, or he said, Moses, I see you being Superman, but you're one man, and brother, you will wear yourself out. And more than just wearing yourself out, the people won't be served as well because you'll be on E while you're doing so. It's Paul Harris translation, right? That's some of the extrapolation of what's happening there. And so Moses got the message. And so for 40 years, my brother was training up Joshua as his apprentice, as his assistant. 40 years. I thought it won't be 40 years that I'm training up anybody here at Victory Church, <laughs> but it will be some time that starts now for training up the next generation. And such that when we pass that baton, when you pass that baton, you're doing it in your strength. This is another side point. I thought, Lord, help us to do so well here at Victory Church such that whenever that baton is passed, I'm still at top speed. I'm still running well. Not like, hey, Pastor Paul, it might be time (laughs) for you to uh, step on the side and let somebody know I'm at top speed and I'm just saying it's time now for you to, to do your thing. Amazing. 40 different ye- 40 years until Joshua chapter 1, uh, around verse 9, where he was then appointed more formally as the leader. They were training together. Marion said, we train. We connect with each other. We eat lunch with each other. We, we, we figure out each other's timing. What makes us tick? 
How many steps do you need? You need 24, you need 20, when do I yell go? But we're figuring out how we can be in sync such that the handoff could work really well. Passing the baton of faith requires sustained and intentional connection. The text doesn't say whether or not God uh, or why God hadn't chosen somebody to replace Joshua. We don't know if there was some failure per se in his leadership or why somebody hadn't stepped forward, but we know what did happen. And we know that sustained and intentional connection happens or matters rather. It's not how fast you are, Marion said. It's not how fast you are. It's how quickly you can get the baton around the track. Taylor jokes me sometimes uh, about this because I thank God for every single one of you. There are some in the room who are older than I am, some of them who are kind of in the same season as I am, and certainly those of you who are kind of coming after me. And Taylor, we used to joke me that I used to hang out with old people all the time. And she's like, you have an old soul. It's cool, but man. <laughs> and she's right. As a kid, even, even now, but definitely as a kid, we had in our church the elders and, and so the, the, the female older women that we call mothers, right? So there was Mother Abney and Mother Bell and Mother Holmes and Mother Harris, my mom, and other mothers. And I would literally go to their table in the, 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 the uh, fellowship hall and sit with them. Mother, how are you doing today? Can I get you something? How are you? And just, just to serve, just to love on them. And out of that, there will be some nuggets, right? Some nuggets they would drop like, baby, <laughs> don't you worry about them. You just trust God. Don't you? And, and just nuggets, principles that I can apply to my life. Grandma, granddad would just sit and listen to them tell me stories. Maybe I'd heard stories. Maybe I hadn't. And while we don't do what granddad did and don't do what daddy and mommy did, don't do what the mother's board maybe did, the principles that are passed forward, it was almost as if in reflection, reflecting on this message, I was saying, God, I want to carry that baton well. What does it look like for me to run well with that baton and not drop it? So we're not waiting until our children turn a certain age before we even have them up here doing a transition or an offering moment, which will happen soon. We're not waiting for them to serve as they already are with AV. We're saying, no, now's the time to go. Start running 24 steps out. Go. And when we yell stick, you'll just be ready to take it. There was no one, though, in this text to pick up the baton from Joshua. Nobody was there to say, yes, I'm here to run with it for the next generation. And all it took was for one generation not to know. And so lastly, I want to point out conviction and the importance of conviction. Where there's stability, there is continuity. Where there's stability, there's continuity. And this is referencing both us as we receive the baton from those who have gone before us and those who come after us. James 1 and 8 says it this way. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. There's no stability. There's no continuity. Marion would go on to say Paul, in the four by one particularly, said it's a blind exchange. I said, okay, what does that mean? He said, well, it means they never looked, right? So they yell go, they yell stick. And he said the most important thing was that they had a steady hand. Because if they didn't have a steady hand, boom, no matter how fast you are, it's dropped, the race is lost. I say, God, what happened to the steadiness of the hand of the generation that followed Joshua? The, the instability such that they thought Baal ought to join Yahweh. The instability that they weren't to just focus and follow Jesus alone, but that they would have then pulled these things 
from culture. I thought about the 16 years now, which was crazy to think about. I've worked in education and the avenues through which instability comes at our kids every single day. Which is not to say that critical thought isn't important and we do want our children to understand why they believe what they believe. That's important. Oswald Chambers says it this way, beware of, of Christian activity instead of Christian being. Right, so we don't want just the brainwashing and people doing stuff and they don't even know why. No, that's in, important to be thoughtful. And yet, we want them to have a steady hand. We want them to be able to run in such a way that they say, our focus is on you, Lord, and not pulling in this and that and saying, no, this makes sense to me today, what I read. But this one, not so much. Because we see that that recipe is one of disaster. This text says to us, as we do that, as the Israelites did that, there's falling, there's anger burning on the part of God. It says he left them to be oppressed by their neighbors. And thank God for his grace and his mercy such that when we cry out to him, he comes back. But we then can kind of go through the same cycle as the Israelites did. A steady hand, he says. And I said, Lord, how do we in this generation have a steady hand to those coming before us? And how do we facilitate through communication, through connection, a steady hand on the part of the youth who are coming after us? What does that look like? And so as it relates to me, as it relates to you, I thought, well, what is it upon which I'm standing now? What are you standing on? Is it the rock? Scripture says he's a firm foundation. Are you steady or is there a wavering internally or otherwise, back and forth of, I can do this and I can do that. I'll make it work. I know what you say and here's the plan that I see, but can I just do this and slap this onto this? Where are you standing? I imagine a community that's intentional. We talked earlier in our 930 meeting about life at victory and, and we talked about intentionality of racial reconciliation through the lens of scripture, what that looks like. We'll see you next time if you missed it. But I imagine a community that is intentional about receiving the baton of faith well and with a steady hand communicating and connecting, passing it forward to the next generation. I see a community, I imagine a community that says it's important for me to look at who I'm connecting with and if there's no one there to find them. To look at what my life is speaking. What is it saying? What's it communicating? to my peers and certainly those behind me. I can digress for a moment to highlight that point as an educator again and a parent. I'm very mindful of how we have perhaps inappropriately so in the past imposed without explanation things on children. And so there's now sort of a move to the other end of that spectrum which is to say, you'll figure it out. Well, can I say, somebody's speaking all the time. I know it because they come home singing it and talking about it and telling me everything. I said, oh, somebody's speaking up in here and it won't be me that's not. What is your life saying about the one whom we say is our Lord and Savior? Do we have to stand and put a pulpit up in our house like my auntie did <laughs> and preach? <laughs> no joke. They started a church eventually out of that, but it was the pulpit. And uh, do we do that or do we just live with integrity? And when somebody asked us, how did you not go off? What word, how did the soft word come to the wrath that happened in that meeting? Because you know how we usually handle that. And you can say, I have something to say about that. When the kids come, and they come, they ask. They don't know how to ask, but they ask. 
what, how are you living? This whole, you seem happy married. What is that about? You didn't go off in Target with your kids. Let me tell you about Jesus. Because <laughs> there's nothing but the Lord. Nothing but the Lord. What's your life saying? What are you standing on? How are we communicating? You hear what I'm saying. What I'm saying. How are we communicating? How are we connecting? How are we being convicted by what we say and profess is our conviction? And together we can pass this baton of faith well. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, help us with this message. Help us.